0: It's mentally
1: yours from Ellen and Evette. Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours, mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours. I'm Ellen, the lady to my left is Evette. Hiya. We're in Bills in
2: West London chatting about how mental people's views on mental health actually are. Most people think that us crazies with mental health issues are super down in the dumps and pissed off, but there's so much more to it than that. Coming up, we're chatting to Aaron Gillies, aka Technically Ron, on social media. Aaron has his own take on mental health. He takes the piss out of it. It's all about the Sopranos, sucking leeches and internet nastiness.
0: People that suffer with depression realize that they have probably suffered with it for quite some time, but it didn't really have a name. It was just kind of what they thought was a bit of their personality, or they were just a bit off, or they were like slightly different to everyone else. And then you get to the doctor and you go, oh, fuck, I have a name for this thing, and now I can start dealing with this thing, and it's a real thing instead of just like this red spot in the back of my head that is making everything weird. So, in that kind of respect, I probably have had it since my late teens, and it was only in my kind of late. mid-twenties that I actually went to the doctors and did anything about it. One of the most difficult things is going through that tradition of, oh, actually, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I need to go to a doctor. I need to talk uh, talk about this to someone who knows a lot more about this instead of just wallowing in what I assume, what I just think is myself Mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, So that's when I kind of did it. But it's all kind of reflection of when you think... Oh, well, I was going through this at this time, and I felt like this about six years ago. I must have been this has been a constant in my life for the last so many years.
2: What kind of response did you get from the doctor? Was it useful at that time or
0: it was particularly useful. I was very very um wary. I think one of the bravest things you can do when it comes to mental health problems is going and actually seeing a GP and being up front and talking about your uh, uh, kind of emotions, burying your soul a little bit, but it's such an important step to take, um, and it can be daunting because you can get a bad GP who doesn't understand, or who will just um, say, "Oh, you just need to exercise more," or "You just, oh, you just need to cut down on the booze." And it's like some uh, some doctors like that, but I, I think the majority, about ninety-five percent, will listen to you and they'll take it very seriously, and then they know that this is a very big deal and they'll listen to what you've been through. They will ask you questions. They'll usually give you a little form where you get to fill out things with 110, and it's the crazy form, and it tells you how crazy you are. And then they accept the crazy form, and then they'll give you a expert opinion on what they think that you should do next and they will only recommend you medication if you're comfortable with taking medication and if you want medication, they'll only recommend you CBT if that's something that you're interested in otherwise they'll change uh, say that it's kind of do it your uh, do it yourself, CBT, change your lifestyle, change this, start doing this and all these kind of like identifying the negative aspects of your life that could help in some form afterwards but it's completely, that they'll work with you is the thing I think most people expect to go to the doctors and go ah you're an insane person here are pills that you'll be on for the rest of your life and you'll be drugged up until you're 70 and die and and it's not the case at all it's a doctor will just see you talk to you rationally like a human being person and help you and hold your hand throughout it and it's the first step
2: I think some people think that depression is just like being a bit sad how would you describe it because you've sort of Taking the mist out of it and described it in all kinds of different ways on Twitter.
0: From a general public sort of view, a feeling of melancholy, of almost kind of feeling down and not really knowing why. Whilst depression is an all-encompassing black hole that just you can't find a way out of, There is, there is no emotion in it. It is just a like someone has just thrown something over you and it's dragging you down and down and you can't get out of it. There's no joy to be had there. There's no emotion to be had there at all, apart from maybe self-loathing. It's so difficult to describe it to people that have never suffered with it. Um, I suppose maybe the closest emotion to it is grief Mm. and that feeling of uh, not finding your way out, of hopelessness, of everything in the world being against you. Of, the, of feeling so minutely small that anything around you doesn't make any sense, and that's what depression is. It's it's getting like it's being at the bottom of a hole and not having any way of getting out of it. It's seeing everyone else functioning like normal human beings, and you there being some sort of weird bedridden husk of a person covered in crisps and for some reason <laughs> binge watching the eighth episode of the sopranos for the 13th time because it's stuck on repeat it's 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 completely nonsensical and depression occurs because of chemical imbalances in your brain which is not anything that you have any control over there's absolutely like nothing that you yourself can do to go right no we're not going to be depressed today that's not how it works you can learn to identify triggers and identify ways that you know if something's about to happen that you can try and help yourself get through it but it's not anything that you should blame yourself for at any point Mm. i think i got a little bit off track of your question there (laughs) Uh, i think it was the sopranos um, analogy that i just (laughs) kind of got lost on and went with it and thought fuck it let's go with that
1: speaking of analogies if your depression was an animal what animal would it be
0: that's a really good one
2: because i think a lot of people do the black dog I think mine would be more like a walrus or something very heavy. Mine would be very large. Like you say, it's the thing that's dragging you down. Yeah. Mm. And I'd like to say an elephant, but they're really cute. I love elephants. So So like a a rat the size of an an elephant or something, or just something really, really heavy and big.
0: Not to be that person. Uh, but I think it'd be kind of like a leech mm. that's stuck oh, on the okay. back of your head and it's just sucking and sucking away and there's nothing you can do. You get, or maybe the middle of your back because you can't quite reach it yeah. to take it off. Mm. And that's, it's just, it lives there now and you just can't do anything about it and it's just part of who you are. So you try and cover it up.
2: What kind of things have you found, um, I don't know what would say, like help your depression, but sort of like help you manage it? to an extent I think
0: it's about self-care it's about identifying first of all it's about knowing that you aren't depressed or that you have depression once you have reached that stage you, you have an enemy that you can battle mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people suffer in the fact that they don't know what they're fighting they're mm-hmm. just fighting this cloud that's over them all the time and that's the real kind of like struggle starts there and then you once you identify it you can start to fight it properly and you can research it and you can talk about it and I'm a big advocate for any sort of conversation around mental health, I think, is a very important thing. It normalises it, you realise that you're not the only person in the world that feels this way, and that makes you feel normal,
2: mm-hmm. I guess. I think that's why sort of your Twitter became so popular, because you were just getting out there and talking about it and joking about it. How did it sort of help you? Did, like, did you get good feedback from people? Did it happen quite quickly?
0: It, it's utterly bizarre. So when, when I got diagnosed with depression, I was about 22, and I was living by myself, and I was basically gone through a phase of complete and utter self-destruction, to the point where I was not very well whatsoever. And I went to the doctor, and I told I me I had depression, so I went home, and I thought, do you know what, I'm going to read as much as I can on this and try and understand it. Because the only knowledge I had of depression back then was, like, that um, rock stars got it at the age of 27 and then took their own lives. That was all I knew about depression. So I went and read about it, and I found forums, and I found um, people just, like, little corners of the internet where people were just talking honestly. Mm -hmm. There was very few books about it. I think the only kind of celebrity talking about it at that time that I can remember was Ruby Wax. Mm -hmm. And... You you read these things and you identify, like, you wouldn't identify with the entire story. You identify one little bit and you go, oh, I've I've gone through that or I've felt like that. So I, one night, got really drunk, like blind drunk, and wrote this blog post. And I woke up the next morning and kind of forgot that I'd written it. And everything I got back was positive. Well, it wasn't positive. It wasn't going, yeah,
1: you've got depression. Well done. Um,
0: It was oh, I've been there. I know what you're going through. Or, oh, um, a friend of mine had this, or my wife has this, or my husband has this. Uh, You need, uh, here is a little bit of advice that worked for them, may not work for you. And it was supportive. And Mm -hmm. like, it was the first time that I'd ever felt that I could speak like something about that. And people would be in return, just kind of like, you're not by yourself. And by the fact that they read about me being like this, they knew that they weren't by themselves as well. So we, like, accidentally bonded over something that neither of us or any of us had ever spoken about before. It was Mm. utterly bizarre.
1: Do you find that people on the internet are kind of nicer around mental health? Because I find I get a lot of nasty comments when I talk about sex and stuff. Mm. And then when I started writing about mental health, no one was like kill yourself. Like, you suck or anything. They were genuinely Uh, really nice. You're not
0: trying hard enough because I get that all the time. (laughs) Hmm. Great. Um, I think it depends on the kind of the audience and the reach and stuff. I think because now... Uh, the conversation about mental health has begun and I hate this idea now that it's become a trend mm. that people are talking about it what actually has happened is it's not a trend and people want to talk about it, it's that someone has started the conversation and people are feeling, feeling comfortable that they can talk yeah. about it and it's Getting that conversation out there and people being able to write about it and talk about it or even just read about it is something that we didn't have five years ago. And that's why it's becoming a bit more kind of mainstream with like Prince Harry and people like that. And I think Carol Vorderman was speaking about it on Lorraine okay. or something this morning. Big figures like that that people have read about talking about these issues is really, really important because... I remember a couple of years ago, Bruce Springsteen did an article, and I think it came out in The Guardian, um, where he spoke about his mental health. I was like, that's Bruce fucking Springsteen. He's so cool. He's like the manliest man in the world. He's speaking about mental health. Hell yes, I can speak about mental health. And I think once you get those sorts of things um, and you hear about them, the, the conversation can finally start. But, yeah, I don't understand kind of like the... I think it's it's also just the internet, though, isn't it? Yeah. People are... People tend to be dickheads on the internet. That's
1: true. But I have genuinely found, like, around mental health, it is kind of a lot more supportive than I thought it would be because I thought it would be very scary to talk about, but there are so many people that are kind of really eager to talk about mental health and hear people's stories, which is Mm -hmm. quite nice.
0: I suppose it's just because it's, it's a conversation that didn't exist. Yeah. And now that people, normal people that do normal things and have normal jobs are speaking about it. People are now more in tune with the kind of emotions that could lead up to this, and now wanting to help each other.
1: You're a very funny man. Oh, that's congrats. Oh, Um, thank you. I think a lot of people think that, like, if you're funny, you must automatically also be very happy. So they seem confused when it's like, no, I have mental health issues. Mm. Can you explain how you can still be funny and also not feeling that great?
0: It's yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think it's <laughs> like you do this good. for a living. <laughs> um I think it's kind of a, a disconnect. Mm. Like I I love making people laugh, but I've never like laughed at anything I've posted online. Or write it. No. That, so it's that. it's, it's, very it's funny a bit stuff. R- it's really weird, but I don't really do it. It's it's so bizarre. But I, I really like I grew up watching old BBC sitcoms like Bottom and The Young Ones and Blackadder and stuff like that, and I've loved comedy for so long. And I thought, too, I'm just going to start writing nonsense and see if it goes anywhere, and it did. And I love the fact that people, like, find it amusing. I really do. Mm. And, the, and what that, I think, like, making people laugh is just makes me feel a little bit more normal. I think it's kind of, it's almost like a weird vice, like an yeah. addiction. Like, that makes me feel like I'm actually doing something. And especially when I'm in, like, times where it, it's really not going very well, that kind of, like, online community where you're emotionless. You mm. can just tweet about politics and call Theresa May a twat and, like, all these different things. I was going to go on a bit of a rant there. No, I'll avoid can, that. I mean,
1: feel free. <laughs> it's fun.
0: Um, But because none, like... Your emotions aren't coming through, though. You're, like, at least not kind of like what your inner turmoil. It's more kind of an like external commentary. So it gives you a way of getting out of yourself
2: mm.
0: when you are in this position where you feel like you're just trapped and you can't do anything.
2: Are there any sort of standout conversations that you've had with people on social media?
0: I wrote a blog post about just to kind of how I I did my day to day it was was fairly kind of like there was no real subtext to it a woman uh, responded to me and she was she was about 50 odd and she said to me thank you for writing this This the first time I've been able to understand what this is like my husband has suffered with depression for the last 20 years and this has really made it like more obvious what he's going through Mm -hmm. and what you've said and now I can identify with him a bit more and I was sat there kind of Just taken back by the fact that this woman would say that on on the internet and like that that something so stupid that I'd written was actually helping people because it doesn't matter like how many followers you have or like what platform you're writing on. If you write something and it it goes out to someone and they read it for the first time and they can identify with it, you're helping someone. And that's the important thing. You don't need to have a hundred thousand followers. You just need to be able to write honestly feel comfortable with what you're writing never like write if you don't not comfortable posting stuff obviously Um, but if you're comfortable then write it and and you may just like some random follower or some random person that comes across this tweet you might help them Mm -hmm. and that's worth it every single time and I think it's a good part of recovery
2: Are there any other sort of standout things that have helped you with recovery? I think
0: just kind of people linking me to other articles and other kind of um, ways of thinking about self-care and that sort of stuff, especially being a person that used to be very, very self-destructive. I mean, I'm still quite self-destructive now, uh, but it's mostly just booze and um, cigarettes. However, I haven't smoked for well today. I quit this morning. That's well,
2: congratulations! <laughs> it's going very
0: well. Um, reading about other people's uh, experiences is very, very important, and I think maybe one of the the biggest Uh, Steps to recovery was kind of like talking to my friends and family about it Mm -hmm. Um, Because I never mentioned it to my parents at all Mm. I I spoke about it on Twitter before I mentioned it to my parents because I was scared I hadn't mentioned it to many of my friends. I mentioned it to uh, My now wife and we met on Twitter because we were talking about this And it's just kind of like being open and honest which I think for men is quite difficult anyway especially kind of like on the internet where you're supposed to be giving up some sort of like faux bravado or some sort of weird personality of yourself.
2: You mentioned earlier sort of talking therapies as well and Mm. possibly medication.
0: Yeah, and like I I did CBT and the first round I did was fucking terrible. Um, The doctor told me that if he was me, he'd be depressed too that's yeah. nice oh my that, god like, people, can't,
2: people can't hear me right now you just, like, <laughs> if face. I'm going to describe my face like, it's like a <laughs> scream face it's yeah. just like a big oh it's just, wow
0: um, but once again like finding a good therapist is like dating it yeah. can take four or five or ten times until you find someone that you quite happily or you happily speak to openly yeah Um, But it is one of those things you need to keep going back to. Um, I try all the different self-care things. I tried like, meditating Mm. and yoga and all that sort of stuff. And Mm. Some of it works, some of it didn't work. It's about finding what's right for you and what, like, kind of recovery plan works for you. I think, for me, it's probably bad Nicolas Cage films (laughs) is, like, the one thing that always makes me chill out. Like, I can just put Con Air on, and for an hour and a half, don't look at me like that. Connor is the I'm best just, I've film never ever made. seen it. Oh, my God. I think
1: that would be the opposite of helpful for me, is Nick <laughs> Cage's face in I've general. I've never
2: seen it either. Oh, I'd my God. Very, this yeah. is now a
0: Nicolas Cage podcast, and we shall speak about this <laughs> film <fine>. in detail. <laughs> Oh, his hair is amazing in that film, um, but I think it's just finding like I think uh, like that big trend in adult coloring books now because it just switches yeah. your mind off mm. and you concentrate on something. It can be playing the guitar, it can be writing poetry, it can be doing absolutely anything. Playing video games even, it whatever takes your mind from the place that you've been in to some sort of escapism, it works. And even if you just do it for half an hour a day.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Oh, my pleasure entirely. Thank you for having me.
2: Well,
1: we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really
2: very angry about this shit. Right. One of the things that's really pissing me off this week is the corners of the internet, which tends to be sort of the odd blog, blog here and there on Tumblr. It seems to be that um, glamorize mental illness, specifically suicide, like it's a really cool club to belong to. You'll see these these memes, these. Actually, I'm too old to talk about memes. You're Let's not just, too, we're never too old to talk about memes. But <laughs> well, anyway, you'll see these pictures and they'll sort of say things like, oh, you know, angels, the angels have to return to heaven and things like that. And it's just like,
1: what? No, I don't need to return to heaven yet. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. And also really like artsy shots of like stage suicides, which is just horrible because it's not pretty in real life. Yeah,
2: it's it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, it's just, for one thing, it's, it's just irresponsible. But also, it just, I think it just takes away the kind of the blunt, ugly, heartbreaking reality of losing somebody very dear to you. So I'm angry about it, and I'm kind of trembling, as, it, as I say it. but I'm also like, I'm angry, and I'm just very sad about it. And I would really like people to stop doing it. <laughs> Stupid crap, my brain has told me at 4am. Oh,
1: stupid, 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 Weird thoughts I've had at 4am this week have mostly been about just re-watching old shows that I've already watched at least two or three times, because I Mm. haven't been sleeping as well. Um, So it's literally just the thought, okay, I don't want to sleep. It's really late. I'll just re-watch something that's a bit comforting. Which obviously I know is stupid, and I should sleep because I definitely feel tired. But I just don't want to.
2: Yeah, but is it helping watching those things or like? No, because I feel very
1: tired the next day. It's comforting in the moment, mm. but then the next time, I'm just like, why did I stay up way past my bedtime? Just rewatching something that I already, I
2: already know what happened. I think it's nice that you've kind of taken the pressure off yourself because yeah. I think like the worst thing you can do that I found like when you can't get sleep is to actually be that you know that thing where you just sort of lie there and just like, oh, God, I can't get to sleep, I can't get to sleep. If you just sort of go to yourself, oh, well, never mind, I'm going to go and do some knitting or, I don't know, yeah. I'm going to go and write something or, I don't know. My I have been advised that, yeah, much as I love sort of TV and stuff, TV is not the best for that because of the it's glare at the screen and stuff, so a book
1: a is book generally be better.
2: Because, yeah, they start reading, then they sort of drop off a bit. But, yeah... I think it helps to sort of if you can't sleep to just rather than sort of obsess over the fact that you can't sleep to just just be like oh well I've got these extra I've got this extra time might as well do something nice. I think one of the best like
1: sleeping tips I ever read when I was younger is if you can't drift off within half an hour don't keep lying there get up do something else and then come back to sleep later Mm -hmm. and that genuinely always works for me until I'm in the position where I'm like I just don't want to sleep which is really like not healthy and great and I'm working on it. Mm. But for now, just very tired.
2: Have you tried any of that meditation stuff? I've started using the Headspace app. Is it good? Yeah, I really like it. I don't do it every day though. You're meant to do it every day. I don't have time for that. I mean, I can't believe it. It's it's only 10 minutes. I don't manage it. Soon you'll reach the end of the free trial.
1: And then you'll have to consider if you're willing to pay for it. Uh. Because that's what I did, the free trial. And I really liked it. And then I was like, but I can't be bothered to pay. Mm. And that's very silly because I pay... For much stupider things than a meditation app, but Mm. yeah, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I will try meditation again, upon the advice of my mom and literally everyone else in my life. Well, or
2: you don't have to have an app for it. You can just sort of sit. You can and you know do a breathing exercise or go to a yoga class and get some ideas for it and stuff. Like you don't have to have a guided meditation.
1: Yeah, or you can just sit and think. And not
2: think about things. Hang on, though. What, what are these programs you're watching? Because these might just be really good programs. They're not. I watch a lot of trash, like a lot. I watch. I keep want. I rewatch
1: Riverdale. Oh even it's not yeah. A rewatch Thirteen Reasons Why, which is obviously just a stupid thing to rewatch. That is not the best thing. It to was watch very dumb. When you're not feeling great,
2: anyway. Um,
1: Gilmore Girls, Gossip Girl.
2: Oh, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is comforting. Gilmore Girls is fine.
1: Gilmore Girls is like a duvet. It's good, but it's just the fact that okay, I've watched one episode. I could just watch, like, five more. Yeah. They're very easy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And also just um a lot of, like, BBC dramas, mm-hmm. which are also bad because there's the suspense added in, so you can just power through the whole thing in one night, mm. which is not great. Get a
2: book. That's my advice to you. <laughs> I will try reading.
1: So this is goodbye. If you've suffered from any of the things we've talked about today in Bills, please get in touch with the Samaritans,
2: at samaritans.org or call for free on 116 123. Or, if you have a question, get in touch on Twitter via atyvetcaster and at ellen c scott or on our new exciting twitter handle which is at mentally yours but it's yrs soon it'll
1: be yours hopefully <laughs> thanks so much to our man aaron follow him on twitter he's at
2: at technically ron mentally yours is brought to you by metro.co.uk our producer is sam bonham our jingle enthusiast is lucy baker see you next monday morning